0: emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, a financial expert, and an app developer of your Backup Plan app. And I'm located here in Vancouver, B.C. You can expect product reviews, workshops, tutorials, some tips and tricks from our interviews on my channel with real-life people and their real-life stories. So if you're new here, go ahead and click on the button um, to subscribe. I'm so excited for this week is our interview with Chris Meyer, an estate lawyer in Vancouver, BC. And he's going to give us the real goods. The real goods of some tips and tricks on saving money and getting a plan in place to protect you and your loved ones. Well, hi guys. This is uh, Watson Gopel in Vancouver and we're going to interview Chris Meyer from Watson Gopel and he is an estate lawyer and I'm so excited to talk to him today to tell us a little bit more of the tips and tricks of getting your will done and why you should. So, hello Chris.
1: Hi, good afternoon.
0: This is Chris Meyer from Watson Gopel, and um, let me get my, it's all caught on the bottom of it, come on out. Okay, now we can, everybody can hear us okay, and welcome Chris, I'm excited to be here in Vancouver with you today, and talking about wills, and power attorneys, and all of that stuff that you do in your sleep, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: Never in my sleep.
0: <laughs> so, Chris, um, I think the first question that we probably would like to talk to people is we're going to have listeners from all over the world, not just Canada. So we have to try to talk about, you know, having a will is probably the same in most countries. Having no will is probably the same in no countries. In all countries where it's complicated to fix if you don't have a will. We know what it is in Canada. It's horrible. Dying intestate. Um, what would you say to people if they're thinking, well, you know, I think I'd like to get a will, but why should I? I don't have anything, anyways.
1: Well, I, I guess I'll preface my comments by saying that I think in some jurisdictions wills aren't necessary because the by statute it determines where the property goes but in all common law countries wills are essential so the reason why you should always have a will is because whether you realize it or not when you die you own property it may not be a lot of property may not be a house or, or a condo or a car but you own personal belongings, you own probably a bank account even if it's small and you need someone to make decisions regarding your funeral, people to deal with whatever you have and the easiest way to do that is to pick someone you trust to make those decisions for you if you don't then someone will have to apply for administration of your estate perhaps and it may not be the person you would have preferred and you know most of us have things that may not have any financial value but may have real uh sentimental value and you may want to leave that make sure that goes to someone who you really like or who you think should have it if you don't you know the person that's looking after your stuff might think this is of no value and either throw it away or give it to the salvation army right and
0: that's not what you probably that's not what
1: anybody wants and
0: when you have property it becomes well if you
1: have property it becomes even more important the most important thing is that what you are doing with a will is you're disposing of everything you worked hard for your whole life so why would you want someone else to make those decisions for you because if you don't have a will in most common law countries there's a statute that provides where the estate goes you may not want that you may want it to go to a charity rather than to friends or family You may want to be cremated rather than buried. There's a whole bunch of things that you may want that should be covered in a will.
0: With your wishes.
1: With your wishes. Um, What about
0: um, a will, having a will, but it's out of date?
1: Well, wills never get out of date, but they may not have all the provisions in them that you want. Uh, Once you've signed a will, it's good for the rest of your life, but we always encourage our clients probably to review the will every two years because people die, people have children, people get divorced, people get separated. And while I'm, I'm allowed to ramble a little, am I? I mean, obviously, if you have children, it would be a crime not to have a will because you want to make sure you name the right guardians for your children. You want to make sure you set up trusts for your children. Yeah. There's a number of considerations you should have if you have children that can only be dealt with in a world. Well, they can always be dealt with outside the world, but then it's not your choice. It's the government's choice of some other individual who you may not think is the appropriate person to be the guardian who will make those choices.
0: And I always talk about in my podcast about how maybe you don't want just one guardian. Maybe you want a team to look after your children someone to pick them up on the weekend and take them away, or somebody to take them as a break for, for the person that has them 100% of the time? Or
1: well, maybe. having a responsibility as a guardian is a huge responsibility, but it becomes more and more legally and technically cumbersome the more guardians you appoint. We often suggest that a couple be appointed as guardians, but then of course the question is if there's a divorce, would you want either of those parents, either of those people you have picked, would you want either of them to be the guardian, or do you want to go on to the next group of guardians? So we always say, name a guardian or guardians, but always make sure you have ultimate guardians, always make sure you have more than that, if you can't think of more than that. If you have named guardians outside the country, you may want to name an interim guardian while those guardians come to Canada to get your children.
0: Right. Or, stay here and do, or agree to some sort of...
1: Or stay here, but most people you've picked as guardians of the established of life somewhere else, and that's probably where, where they, they would want to go. Although we, if you have property, most wills always give the opportunity for the guardians to stay in the property with the children live. Um, what
0: about, since we're on the topic of wills and property, etc. cetera, um, what about having property in another location. You are Canadian, but you have property in the United States. Do you put that in your will in Canada
1: then? Well, in many countries, uh, because the will provisions are different, I always suggest that you have a will for that particular country. In the United States, there are significant differences in the way that properties are treated for tax purposes, so I always suggest that. The property is a value of anything over say five hundred thousand so dollars if you probably should retain a lawyer in the united states to prepare a will for your u.s assets just make sure your will in canada says it's only dealing with your canadian assets
0: yes and what about if you had an executor who was american that you were canadian with a canadian will how does that work
1: that's not really a problem because he's only the executor he's not a beneficiary if the executor becomes a trustee under trusts under your will, that may be a problem. So there are tax implications yes, in the United States. And reporting States, obligations in the States in because it, other country. Yeah. So as soon as there are trusts that you're creating, for example if you have young children, you would probably want to make sure you have a Canadian executor.
0: Okay. Um, do you have any stories that come up with regards to having property in another country and you know, issues around
1: that? Well, I guess one of the, one of the issues always is um, who has claim to the property in the other countries. Uh, quite often people will uh, allow someone to live in a house that they own in the Philippines or in Greece not realizing that the laws in those countries may well provide that after a certain period of occupation they may be entitled to stay there so if you own property in any other country it's always a good idea perhaps to speak to a lawyer even if you don't want a lawyer to prepare the will for you and you decide you're going to rely on a canadian will at least let you know what the wrinkles are in any estate in any country
0: okay and they should see a lawyer or not
1: well it depends in Many countries, I don't think they have lawyers. I think they have no trees. Someone who can make a legal decision for you or give you legal advice.
0: Advice. What about? um, We talked about guardians and how important it is. I, I try to. I think with me, for me, with my clients that I've come across, the hardest thing to decide on wills is to set a guardian for your kids. And it stops everybody in that path from doing it because they can't decide on who to pick.
1: That's true. That's I, I get that all the time. I send out my will questionnaire for people to fill in. <clears throat> Remind them a month later, they say it's all filled in, except the name of the guardian. Yeah. Um, you have no choice. If you don't make the choice in your will, then somebody's going to make a court application to be appointed as guardian. And that may not be what you wanted. You may not even have wanted a family member to be the guardian. You may have preferred a really, really good friend whose daughter is the same See. age as yours and to have the same values and beliefs as you do. Right. So but if if it is not in the will, then I think the family will get precedence over anyone else in a court application to be a project guardian.
0: What about if, if there was two or three that were going to apply and would there be quite a long time of fighting? It could the be, it people?
1: could be, you know people would have to if, if they were vehemently opposed to each other each one would obviously hire a lawyer each one would then have to do examinations for discovery. They would probably get, try and get witnesses to show the character flaws in each other. And it would just be yeah, a horror show. And, how long and, and could tear a family apart where it might never have happened if you'd simply named someone.
0: Yeah. Um, how long do you think something like that could take, possibly? Six well, to, to get
1: into court, you're looking at a year, a year and a half mm-hmm. now. So who's the interim guardian? Does the public guardian and trustee become involved? Probably. Which adds another complication to the whole house. Yeah, and do they end up in a foster home in the interim? It's a scary thought. Very scary thought. Because you don't really know where
0: they're going. No,
1: though. it's. And, they might and get it won't be solved with a will. Okay. So I, I, I don't understand why people don't do wills.
0: The only thing that I have an answer for that is because. I usually hit my fist on the table and say, get your will <laughs> now. Um, but no one listens because I think they think it's not going to happen to them. I think we all think we're Superman, and it won't happen, so why well, get it? I'll get it when the time comes. That doesn't make any sense.
1: No, but because you have to have capacity to be able to do well. Exactly. And so if the time comes and the time... You become incapacitated or in a coma, it's too late. Uh, the best time to do it, and any lawyer will tell you that, is when you have capacity and you can give him clear instructions and you know exactly what your assets are and you know exactly where you want them to go. Right. That's the perfect time to do it well.
0: It's certainly not when they. Become dementia. Or no, they can't. They can't do it. Then. That's impossible. Yeah. So it makes no sense.
1: No, and there's no one else that can do a will
0: for them. Um, do you always suggest going over the questions before meeting with a lawyer to kind of have an idea if you're in a partnership perhaps to discuss some of the ins and outs and then have a meeting with the lawyer? Well,
1: I think it's, it's always important to discuss. If you're married, obviously, it's always important to discuss it with your spouse. Um, If you are single and have children, it's never a bad idea to discuss what you are thinking of doing with adult children. And then I think either, uh, in these COVID times, you ask a lawyer to send you his will's questionnaire, which you fill out, because it will certainly make you think about the various things you should think about. Uh, You can discuss the will questionnaire over the phone. I had two calls this morning on questionnaires, and we just went through them together. Uh, If you can meet with a lawyer, That you're proposing to use, it's always a good idea because part of the client lawyer relationship should be a comfort that each has in the other.
0: Exactly. A trust. Yes. A relationship. Yes. Because you're giving everything to that lawyer to give you advice on.
1: Well, you have to. You have to admit to indiscretions, you have to. uh, possibilities. Yes.
0: You have to... Uncomfortable, yes. dysfunctional family because situations. because the lawyer <laughs> needs to be able to cover those. Right. Um, so, <laughs> I think I have to look at me sometimes. Um, what, we're going to talk about trusts, and nobody really understands what trusts are, but they go hand-in-hand hand with wills if there's a bigger discussion around, should I have a trust? What's the benefit of having a, building a trust? I realized that Michael Jackson made some trusts and didn't complete them and caused this big problem with his estate and his huge family. So even if you're a celebrity, you're not um, separated from the ability of things going wrong just because you're a celebrity, right? We hear it about all of Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson and lots of celebrities that have issues as well. Um, so even just being an average person wanting to make a will, sometimes a trust might be a good idea. Could you tell people about trust? Sure.
1: There's probably two types of trusts that are most important. There's the testamentary trust, and that's a trust you create in a will. So if someone comes in to see me and has children, depending on the value of the estate, we may create a separate trust for each of the children that says the money is held in trust until a certain age. I think 25 is a good age. Uh, By then they're relatively mature and they've already gone through probably university or post-secondary education if they're going to do it. And they'll look after and value the money a little more. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's a lot of money, sometimes we say you get half at 25 and half at 30 or whatever. Uh, the magic of a trust again in a will is you can create whatever terms you want. But what it does do then is it, it allows the, the trustee to distribute money from income or from the capital to look after that child. Well it's going through a very difficult time because obviously at that point it's an orphan, And so uh, it's a troubled time so trust there creates some security for the children and you as the parent know that you've appointed a trustee who you trust implicitly and you know that they are going to have the best uh, interests of the children at heart. In fact, a lot of people when they make wills also do a letter of wishes to the guardian saying, these are the sorts of things I want you to, to look after and look for in my child and this is the type of education and upbringing that I would like the child to have. Then there are trusts that you create during your lifetime. <clears throat> you can have a family trust. Or you can have a alter ego trust or a joint spousal trust, or usually the three trusts that you consider the advantage of a trust obviously is that if you have assets in a the trust, they're not part of your estate. Which means whatever you do with the money in your trusts can't be challenged as your will can be challenged. So typically the the impetus for a trust is probably your accountant your at some point comes along and says uh, you know financially it would not be a bad idea for you to have a trust uh, to look after your children, perhaps your grandchildren, to do some more complicated estate planning uh, sometimes the trust will the impetus this will come from a lawyer <coughs> excuse me, when, some, when your client says I have three children, uh, two of whom I really don't want to leave anything to so how can you protect me? And one of the choices is joint ownership, which I'm not a big fan of. And the other one might be to create a trust.
0: So for listeners out there, a trust is like a <coughs> it's like a corporation, I call it, or a, a box that you can put things into to go directly to that person that you yes. want the trust to be for. Yes. And then the trustee is the one who manages that. That's correct. So you can have multiple trusts for each of
1: your children? You could have, but it becomes very expensive and complicated then because every trust has to file annual financial statements, tax returns, things like
0: that. It really is like a corporation. Yeah.
1: So usually there's one trust that takes care of all the children. Uh, Within that trust you can again make wishes known, uh, who you want, monthly payments to go to, who you don't, because most trusts are discretionary, so it means that none of the beneficiaries have an interest in the trust until, <coughs> excuse me, the trustees decide. During the term of the trust, once the trustee, the benef- once the person who made the trust dies, then the trust document says where the assets go. So it's just like a will at that point. Oh. I leave so much percent to this person, so much percent to that person. Of the assets of the trust.
0: Um, so, could you have three children in one trust then, yes. And then they could have, and you can designate a lot, this for that person, this for that yes. person. So, that's really cost efficient. It is cost
1: efficient, and, and the advantage is if you have a, a, a family where there are children who you become distanced from or who are spendthrifts or uh, or have drug, have, addiction, or simply have drug addiction. addictions. You can provide to each of them differently in a trust.
0: And they can't fight it.
1: They can't fight it.
0: Well, listeners, are you listening out there? Because I know that there's a lot of people in that situation. Yes.
1: More than lot, you would imagine.
0: A lot of people.
1: Because bear in mind in British Columbia at least you can if you're a child or a spouse you can challenge will in many jurisdictions in canada and probably around the world once a will is made that's what it does right but in british columbia that's not the case
0: so you know the difficulty being is a will can be challenged and it can be held up in court for a really really long time with the family fighting and arguing it it can but a trust would make more sense if you want specific things i also know that instead of you outlaying, let's say you put 200,000 in for Susie Q in the trust, well, you could also stipulate how you want her, like you mentioned, you want her to have so much a year or so much every five years, or you could also give her an income through that trust. And it would be taxed differently, correct?
1: If the tax that any money left in the trust is taxed at the highest tax rate. But if you distribute it, the well, hundred dollars comes in and the trust pays out a hundred dollars, and there's no tax. Okay, so
0: that's a huge benefit.
1: Well, if somebody pays the tax.
0: And the other benefit, of course, is that if there's an adult child who either has a drug addiction or a disability and wants or has to be on a disability pension of some sort, that can be nicely giving them an income stream without them losing their disability Yeah, if it's a completely
1: discretionary trust. Bear in mind, you can do all that in a will as well. So really, you have to weigh your family dynamics, you have to weigh the cost of creating the trust, which is not insignificant. Across the filing trust returns, you will probably need an accountant every year, whereas all those things you can look after, you can create as many trusts as you want, and you will as well. So it really is, I always, whenever anybody raises the idea of a trust, my first question always is, have you talked with your accountant about this? Because I don't want to take a, a fairly sizable uh, retainer and fee, if really it's not necessary.
0: Right. I I do know that, thank goodness, a client of mine was on a disability pension and she was lucky that her dad put money in a trust for her so she could continue getting receiving her disability pension from the government. Yeah,
1: it's called a Henson Trust.
0: Otherwise, for the listeners out there, there might be something in your country where if you're on some sort of disability pension or receiving disability benefits of some sort, you have to make sure that you're not going to lose that based on the assets or or um, assets or liabilities, perhaps, um, that you receive from the person that's passed away. Is that make No, that's sense? correct.
1: I mean, if you have an inheritance and it doesn't go into a trust and you're collecting disability benefits, those disability benefits might stop until you've used up the inheritance, whereas if you have a handsome trust, which gives the trustee complete discretion as to whether or when and how and how much to distribute to the beneficiary, they can usually distribute money from the trust to the beneficiary without affecting the disability benefits.
0: And that's huge. That's huge. And, you know, we don't know what listener is listening from the UK or wherever, but everyone should be also investigating what if they've heard this possibility, they should look at what that possibility looks like That their They should certainly investigate. Yeah. But again, the Henson
1: Trust can also be included in the will and in the trust. Okay. So again, it's a decision Easy as to, to which one to use.
0: Okay. Um, so, a lot of people might have a will and no power of attorney for some reason. Because they don't really understand what the power of attorney really does, I think.
1: Well, Most lawyers um, always talk about three pillars of any estate plan. Obviously the will is one. But it only covers what happens to your estate and your assets when you die. What happens if you become incapacitated during your lifetime? Who's going to make those financial and who's going to make those healthcare decisions? So the power of attorney will take care of the financial decisions and in British Columbia, a representation agreement, I think in some jurisdictions it's called a living will or a living trust. There's a number of descriptions, but they all have the same thing in common. They allow somebody else to make decisions with respect to your finances or with respect to your health. Some people are nervous about giving powers of attorney to someone because they're very powerful instruments. Basically the Power of Attorney Act of British Columbia says an attorney can do anything that you can do that's legal except your will. So that's huge power that you're investing in somebody. Uh, married couples will often obviously appoint their wife as, or husband as, as the attorney, and, but you should always have an alternate because you can't force someone to act as your attorney in a will or as your representative in a representation agreement another way of allaying that concern is there's no reason why you can't have joint attorney it's a little more cumbersome but at least two people have to agree on a decision or you can have what's called a springing power of attorney which only comes into effect under certain circumstances like uh, you designate in writing that you want the attorney to start using your power of attorney or you become incapacitated, and there's a doctor's certificate that says you can't make decisions yourself. It's a very, very powerful document, but it's a document that's very, very necessary. Uh, the representation agreement. Many people think a power of attorney will allow you to make healthcare decisions for your for a person as well, for you as well. That's not necessarily the case. Um, I think you should have a representation agreement as well, especially. If you have particular concerns about uh, no heroic measures, for example, to keep you alive, a lot of people don't want that anymore. Yeah. And a representation agreement or a representation directive will take care of that. And what it does is it makes it much easier for the family because quite often there are arguments in between family members and even court cases where someone says, This person never wanted to be kept alive under a road measure. They just wanted to be allowed to die in peace and with some dignity. And somebody else says no, they wanted to be kept alive under all circumstances and they end up going to court. That's all solved by a representation. And it's in
0: the movies a lot. Yes, (laughs) it is. But I'm sure you've experienced it
1: firsthand. Yes. With my wife's great uncle. Very difficult decision to make. Made much easier if there's something in writing from the great uncle that says this is what I want. None of the family can argue with that because typically it's signed in front of a lawyer or a notary. So he had capacity when he did it. So that's what he wanted. Right.
0: What? What if somebody says, "I'm fine. Mom's fine. She thinks she's fine. She really has dementia, but..." Have you run into anyone that really wants to get this power of attorney done, but it might be just a bit too late, I mean, mentally wise? Well, it's
1: always it's always a worry with elderly people taking any instructions. Um, there is there is a test that that lawyers uh, use at times, which is based on law to try and determine whether the person has capacity, whether they know family members, whether they know the assets, whether they know what a will, power of attorney does, where the assets go, who makes the decisions, all those things we try to do. I'm always happier if it's an elderly person if I also have a letter, even a phone call from a doctor saying, you know, this person still has capacity, because it's one of the few challenges that you can make to a will, is incapacity or undue influence, and they both go together when someone has dementia. So
0: that's huge. It's huge because that could really change um, change the outcome as well as the whole years and years of fighting.
1: Sure. I mean, one of the worries about most lawyers is when they have an elderly, new elderly client coming to see them, and the client is accompanied by uh, a child. Obviously, they have to send the child out of the room so that they can make sure mm-hmm. the instructions they're getting are from the parent, mm-hmm. not through
0: from the child. Yeah, so that it's not an influence.
1: Exactly.
0: That's uh, that's really big because I see a lot of elderly parents, you know, starting to get dementia. And we just did a podcast on this that, this week about the signs and symptoms. And, you know, it comes on so usually so gently, so quietly that even when you're around that person, you don't even recognize that they're starting to forget or whatever the situation is. And then all of a sudden it becomes so big that they've already passed by that opportunity, that that chance to maybe do a will or power of attorney, etc. Um, so if it's too late, what do you suggest for them?
1: Well, if it's too late, the only solution I think there is is that you can apply for an order of committal which is a court order that gives you the right to look after the person's finances or the person's health or both.
0: So that's uh, very expensive.
1: It can be expensive, and, and it's it's complicated by the fact that you need um, affidavits from two, well this is for British Columbia, affidavits from two physicians who have examined the patient, let's say, within the last six months, and they both have the opinion that the Person is incapable of managing himself or his affairs or both, and you know we all know how busy doctors are. Yeah. And uh, it can take four or five months of trying to get the doctor Just to, to sign do that. the affidavit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very frustrating.
0: And the cost, because they're going to want to be paid for that as well. Yeah. Um, and the time to get a court order done. It a doesn't take
1: long because uh, it's if it's disputed, obviously it's going to take a lot longer, but typically it's just an appearance in chambers. It doesn't take long.
0: But it doesn't have to be done.
1: It doesn't have to be done if people do will the power of attorney. They do what they're it, supposed yeah. to do at the beginning. That's right.
0: <laughs> so um, there is an opportunity to get out of soda, so to speak, the quicksand by going through that system um, and getting court order. But if if we could do these three documents ahead of time, planning when you have a proper mind, and you're not in incapacitated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I think that's the way people can save money is by having it done ahead of time and planning it, and not waiting until something does happen, because then everything costs money. To fix.
1: Yeah. But also, very importantly, is it prevents, hopefully, in most cases, it prevents any dissension between family members, which can be huge. Yes. I mean, people change when there's money involved. So if you've made your plan properly, the chances are uh, that that will lessen. Even better if you're making a will and you have adult children, that you tell your adult children what you do. Right. So everybody knows right from the start what's happening.
0: And I've always said that it's great to have a will, but if no one knows where it is, that's not much help either.
1: That's true. Well, so you can you can register a will. You don't register the will itself because that's nobody's business. But you can register a one-page document here in BC with the Department of Vital Statistics. It says you have a will, the date of the will, and where it is. And hopefully if you're... Um, and you file a new will's notice every time you move the will, uh, you will, they'll be able to find the original. What I tell my clients to do is I give them a copy for each executor and I tell them to make sure they give a copy to each executor so at least usually two or three people other than the person who made the will knows that they had a will and where it is. Right secret then of course is to make sure that the will and all the copies are destroyed if you ever do another one
0: or update where you have it when you're supposed to be updating yeah. it um what about people that do it themselves
1: well basically there's no reason why you can't do a will by yourself i mean the wills act is, is very sorry, the Wills, Estates and Succession Act now, it is, you know, it just says it has to be in writing, it has to be signed by you, and it has to have two witnesses. Under the new Wills, Estates and Succession Act, even if that isn't the case, sometimes you can still persuade the courts under Section 58 of the Act in BC that whatever you prepared is a good uh, indication of what your last will was. For example, if you, uh, corresponded with your lawyer and exchanged drafts and comments on the drafts yeah. and you finally got the fourth draft of the will and you phone your lawyer or email him and say that's what I want let's meet next week and you walk in front of the bus the day after you do that the lawyer could probably have that will approved even though it's not signed
0: so that's something
1: that's something I mean it's much better than it used to be it used to be if it wasn't in writing and signed in front of two witnesses, it was game over. Um,
0: A trust cannot be done on their own, correct? Sorry? A trust, separate trust, cannot be drawn up on their own. They need a lawyer to draw that up.
1: I would think so, yes.
0: And what about a power of attorney? That cannot be done on their own?
1: It could probably be done on its own, as long as the person who's preparing it I don't know if there's such thing as a power of attorney kit. They just have to make sure that the power of attorney will cover what they want. The, the difficulty with preparing a power of attorney on your own is if you own property, it has to, the power of attorney has to be acceptable to the land title office. And that usually requires being prepared by a lawyer or a notary with the uh, people you've appointed signing in front of a lawyer or a notary as well.
0: So, it's probably the better option to go so that you're 100% certain that it's going to work when you need it to work.
1: It's probably a better idea, <laughs> better idea to get a lawyer to do it.
0: And, and so, what would you recommend people to do to. I know what I would say, but let's ask you what you would think about finding a lawyer to do your will and power of attorney. What would you think?
1: Well, I would probably speak to my friends first. And find out if any of them has recently done a will, and if they did, what they thought of the lawyer who prepared it. I would then probably phone the lawyer and say, "Look, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to come in and chat to you for half an hour, and I hope you won't charge me for that." And um, meet with the lawyer. Just tell them your circumstances. Tell them what you want. Get a feel for the lawyer. How you how he responds to your questions because as you say, some relationship between the two always, trust always works better in any circumstance. And that lawyer will also probably, after that half an hour, be able to give you a fairly good idea as to what his fee is going to be for preparing the document.
0: And you have to feel comfortable with that person, obviously, because we need to build up a trust and relationship with the person that you're giving all of this information to. You do. You have to feel trust in them that they're going to understand because I think everyone has their own story of what they have and what kind of family they have, which might alter what your will will look like.
1: Exactly, exactly. And hopefully the lawyer will will sort of get that information out of the client that they're meeting with.
0: Because it's important.
1: It's very important. It's very important to know, for example, if you have children from a relationship earlier in your life because if it's your child, he has a right to challenge your will, at least in British Columbia whether or not you've seen that child for 20 years
0: Correct. Um, but it's still challengeable and yeah. that can really... I mean the cost... Tie everything up in court, yeah. And the money disappears slowly yeah. through waiting um, with everyone taking... And
1: legal fees on everybody's side. Yeah for fighting.
0: Yeah. Um, what would you say if somebody says, I don't have much, why do I need a will?
1: I think I answered this, but again, it's just because everybody has something, and because you want somebody to dispose of it who you trust.
0: Okay. And perhaps if they have a disabled child under 18, I tell them they should definitely have a will.
1: If you have any child under the age of 19 or 20, I think you should have a rule. Um, it's, it's so important, for, on so many levels, to make sure that what you've worked hard for goes to the right people and looks after the right people. It's so important so you can determine who the guardians are going to be. If you have disabled children, so you can create a handsome trust. You have a Spencer child, so you can create a trust for that child that will look after the child, but not give them access to any large amounts of money. There are so many things you can do in a will to make life for the people that come after you so much easier.
0: Right, and I try to tell families that might have um, a child under 19 or even even older. Could I, I we just did a podcast with one who was 25 who has Down syndrome, and uh, she's divorced. So that really becomes a complicated matter, because now you've got a disabled older child as well as an ex, so how do you want that whole thing to play out? Yeah. So I, I always say to people, there are a whole bunch of choices to be made, but you need to make them, because if something happened, it would really be a messy situation.
1: It would be a very racist situation I and mean, you don't want people to inherit in this.
0: No. As well as less money Yeah. because that plays into what you're able to receive or where maybe that older child is going to be living because there's other opportunities if you're in a pension of some sort or yeah. government assisted or whatever that looks like yeah. that might ruin that whole plan. Um, of anything else to say other than um, is there any other story that you could share of a messy situation well I
1: just want to uh, I just want to say a couple of things we didn't talk about executives oh, yes. which is probably as important as guardians because executives are the people who gather together your estate pay your debts pay your taxes and then distribute the assets and quite often act as the trustees for any trust that you've created in the world. So it's really important to pick someone who you trust implicitly. My philosophy is, pick someone you trust implicitly and then give them as wide powers as possible because you don't know what the world's gonna be like in 10 years time, maybe you pass away. You should always have alternate executors uh, to make sure that, because you can't force someone to act as an executor, if they just decide they're not going to act, you've gotta have someone else behind that. Maybe even two, and if you've got young children, I sometimes say that at the end you should probably have a trust company because there's no guarantee that any executive will live for the 25 years of for the trust that you've created whereas uh, a trust company will always be there Right uh, The other part that you should probably do is you should make sure you tell the executives that you've appointed them That's always a good idea I uh, Several years ago I had a phone call in the middle of the night from someone uh, from in a memorial home, saying, uh, "We are, we have the remains of a Mrs. Jones, and what do you want me to do with them?" And I said, "Well, I don't know Mrs. Jones." And he said, "Well, I've got a copy of your will here, and his name, she named you the executor." Oh dear! And I had gone and given talk somewhere on estate planning and she'd been in the audience and she decided I was the person who should be her, executive. (laughs) Which was a little little difficult because uh, I knew nothing about her, you know, and so it was not that easy to to look after her estate. The other thing that you should consider if you're doing a will is you should have what I call a death book, much to my wife's dismay. Which is a list of where your banks are, uh, who your insurance agent is, who your, where your RRSPs are, all this sort of personal information that your wife may have, may not have, uh, that you should update from time to time, and most importantly, nowadays, passwords for your computer. Because a lot of us don't even keep paper anymore, so it's very difficult if we can't get access to your computer and your, uh, bank accounts through your computer, trying to find out exactly what you have. It may take a year before you suddenly get a letter from a little bank saying, your your account is now inactive because you haven't been in touch with us for a year. Yeah. So uh, I think that's very important. As well, well as a safety deposit
0: box, because a lot of people will put their will in a safety deposit yeah. box and then no one knows where that is. And
1: don't put your power of attorney in a safety deposit box because your attorney won't be able to get to it.
0: So what have I told everybody about your backup plan and keeping your documents in some safe place? <laughs> so um, I, think, I think there's a lot of questions around executor because I know a lot of people say, well, who should I pick? <clears throat> who, should I, who, who should that person be? And it's quite a job when you have to do it. I, I know that.
1: It's a big job. And, and most executives get paid for it. I mean, if it's a family member, probably not. But if it's a uh, if it's a friend, uh, probably they should get paid. The trust company definitely will get paid. The trustee act says that the executive is entitled to a maximum of 5% of the gross value of the estate. So when you're doing your will, you should be careful. Uh, you don't want somebody claiming 5% of two or three million dollars if you own a house in Vancouver. Right. Uh, because that's going overboard. I see very few people getting 5% in any case. Usually it's about 25 or 3%, but even that can be too much. Yeah. So if you have a large estate, you should probably make a provision in the will as to how much the executive should receive. Can you can't, happen? Yes, you can, but you can't be too stingy. Because the executive might say, well, I'm not prepared to do this complicated will for such a small amount of money. Right. So,
0: and it is complicated. <coughs> it can be
1: very complicated. It seems like and, you
0: run into things along the way.
1: And you may be committing to being involved for a long period of time if there are trusts for children. And it may be very complicated if there's a Henson trust in there as well. So there is an, an annual administration fee that an executive is also, a trustee is also entitled to. But it's not very much, it's 0.04% of the money under administration. So that's not a lot of money. No. For what could be a lot of work.
0: Well, I'm sure it could be. So you Uh, really need to have a friend or someone who's willing to take on You do.
1: And don't forget, if you can't find a friend or anyone, a trust company will always do it for you. But they'll charge. And they'll do exactly what your will says, that they don't have any of the compassion that an individual would have for your family members, for example, because a trustee, trust company just acts exactly what the world says.
0: Which is sometimes good and bad.
1: Yeah, sometimes people have a joint ship uh, between a trust company and an individual. Oh,
0: that would be kind of Yeah, uh, with
1: the trust company making the financial decisions and then making decisions that are more personal with the input from the other trustee
0: oh that would be really super nice i think
1: yeah except you then have to pay the trustee and that's not inexpensive
0: well that was um i think really really informative for most people out there i think the same old questions come up i don't have a will because i don't have anything i don't know who to name the executor i don't know who to name the trustee or guardian i don't you know I don't know a lot of things, but just
1: start doing it. Well, don't forget, you can always change it. Right. Nothing's carved in stone in any of those documents. You can revoke a will, a power of attorney, you can revoke a representation agreement, and you can change your will a month after you do your first will. You're having second thoughts. Just tear up the one you did a month ago and have another one done. Right. And um,
0: what if the person has a bank account, and they've passed away and they need money to pay for
1: the funeral expenses? Well, typically a bank will allow some money to be paid out before obtaining probate. Once you have probate, you can deal with a bank account. But before probate, quite often the banks will pay for a funeral. They'll pay the probate fees that you need to pay before you get probate. And usually they will also pay things like hydro, insurance, uh, various... Expenses expenses that you need to keep, safeguard the estate.
0: But you have to apply.
1: You have to go to the bank with, apply, with invoices. It might
0: take a while to, I to, know, you to just, get it out.
1: Well, what, I've been executor in a couple of worlds, and what you do is just go to the bank and, with your invoices uh, and say, this is what I need to pay because I need to safeguard the estate. Uh, or I need to pay this probate fees because I won't get probate unless I pay the fees. And that's could be a, can be a lot of money because it's around about zero point four percent of the gross value of the estate. So if it's a three million dollar estate, that's twenty eight, forty two thousand dollars. That's a lot. a lot of money. Yeah. And that can be a problem because sometimes um, there may not be a lot of money in any bank account can it's all Property but and investments, right? investments. So then the poor executor either has to come up with the money himself as a loan or try and get a loan through the estate. But Which banks will be really reluctant to lend any money until there's an order of probate. Because so there could be a big fight or yeah, something. So it could then. be could be really complicated. Okay. So
0: it would be good to, for the executor for, for you to know the executor knows that they've taken all this job, especially beforehand.
1: It would be nice mm-hmm. for the executor to know that somewhere there's a bank account that has at least enough money to pay probate fees and maybe some general expenses. Yeah,
0: otherwise everybody has to put their hands in their own pockets. Yeah,
1: they'll get it back money. eventually, but
0: yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, that's super. Um, I can't think of any more questions, but I'm sure that they're flippy. Um And in the future, I'm sure that there will be um, I knew Chris from a long time ago from workshops and we got to know each other because um, Chris always had some great stories for us about different situations that he's come across through the years. How long do you think you've been doing family law for Chris?
1: Family law, never. Estate law, a state law? Uh, since 1976. Does that have to be broadcast?
0: Well, you've seen a lot. You've <laughs> seen, seen a, lot. a lot of stories. Yeah. A lot of problems and nice things and bad things. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, well, thank you so much for um, having our interview today for our podcast. We'll be on eight different platforms, and um, we will have a better chance of uh, perhaps getting back with you maybe next year in sometime and having an update uh, maybe some different Different questions. I'd be delighted. Some and you know, I also right? have
1: partners who are estate litigators. You may want to That's have a story. joint story between the two of us. We talk about estates and somebody else talking about what happens if somebody challenges it. That'd be really interesting. Or it doesn't yeah. have capacity. or a number right. of things we could do, which we do with pleasure. That
0: would be awesome. I think people would love to hear those kind of stories because not that it's a bad thing, but it is a bad thing, but it seems like it draws more interest for people to hear the bad story.
1: Well, <clears> the <throat> bad outcome. Excuse me. The one that comes to mind, which is happening right now, is um, in British Columbia. You can challenge a will, but only the only person that can challenge a will is a spouse or a child, a natural born child. This person had was the gentleman who died was in a second marriage, had a much closer relationship with the daughter of his second wife, who wasn't his natural child, than any of his children, always referred to her as his daughter, uh, and passed away with a will that he prepared before he got into the second marriage, with no recognition of this little girl who he had called his daughter and had cared for and she has no right to challenge the will at all because he didn't ever adopt it. So, if you're in a blended marriage, it almost becomes even more important to make sure that there's some really careful estate planning done. Because, for example, if you are in a marriage and you leave everything to your second wife, your second spouse, you may be disinheriting all your children.
0: Your own children. Your own children,
1: because now everything will be in your spouse's name, your children are not her natural children, she has your estate, she can deal with it as she wishes.
0: And then that all seems to go up her side of that thing. It could. Eventually. It could. I've seen that numerous times. Yes. In blended families.
1: And regardless of the assurances that spouses give to each other, it's better to have it in writing.
0: Yes. Because we know what happens with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things always seem to happen when there's money involved.
1: Always. <laughs> it doesn't have to be money. You know, sometimes I've known families that are almost split apart arguing about who gets oh, the crock in the kitchen <laughs> or, you know, I mean, some ridiculous item yeah. uh, that creates a lot of tension between family members.
0: Just like divorce. Exactly. It doesn't seem to matter what it is. It's, it could even maybe just be an object of some sort. Of exactly. It's a reason for people to complain and argue and fight about. It. Yeah. So we don't we don't want that. No.
1: <laughs> Peaceful transition is. Exactly.
0: Perfect. Exactly. So well, thank you. I think we're going to have a great twenty thousand and twenty-one next year. Maybe out of COVID, maybe not. I don't know, but we can certainly talk about some situations where it did go wrong in the wrong direction, and I think that would be really awesome for our listeners to... That would be a pleasure. That would be great. And I will put Chris and watson Gopel's contact information at the bottom for everyone, whether you're listening on, uh, going to be listening on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, we will put the contact information. They do have three locations in the Vancouver area, in British Columbia, they have uh, Vancouver, BC, West Vancouver, and of course, Surrey. So, there are three offices that you would be able to reach uh, Chris or the team um, if anyone is listening and they would like to um, hire Watson Bopel for any of their own business that they have coming up in 2021. So, thank you everyone for listening to our broadcast this week, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing lots more with Chris and the team. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks everybody.